The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning again. It is good to be with you. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we're going to project the passage in just a moment. Um, If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, um, then us jumping into Romans chapter 6 might seem odd to you, because for the last four weeks, we were doing a series on stewardship, and before that, we were doing a series in Advent, but months ago, so uh, I think it's now been about 10 weeks, uh, we were in the book of Romans. If you were with us in the fall, you remember way back in September, we began studying the book of Romans, and when we got to the season of Advent, we took a break, and I promised that we would return, and uh, we are today. (laughs) We are picking up right where we left off. Last time we were in Romans, we looked at Romans chapter 6, the first half of that chapter, and this morning we're going to look at the second half, so you can turn your Bibles there. Now, since it's been a number of um, weeks, really a couple months since we've been in Romans, it's probably a good idea for us to take just a couple minutes and remind us where we are, what we've been talking about. Obviously, I can't go through all uh, six and a half chapters that we've been through, or I guess five and a half chapters that we've been through, Um, but just a brief overview. Remember, Romans is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this church in Rome, And this is a church that he didn't plant, he never pastored, he hasn't been there. But he's on, he's making plans to come see them. And so in preparation for his visit to them, the Apostle Paul sends this letter ahead of him. And this letter is filled with beautiful theological doctrine. It's filled with a beautiful pastor's heart. And you remember very... From the very beginning, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul speaks about who God is and what he has done, that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the creation itself testifies to God's power and glory so that people are without excuse. And then from the middle of chapter 1 through the end of chapter 3, he turns his attention to man and describes how man, regardless of age or sex, status or time in history, every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we have sinned, we're in need of God's grace. And that's where we come to Romans chapter 4. Paul starts to describe the grace of our Lord and how he is redeeming for himself a people. And this grace comes only through Jesus, who in chapter 5, we're told, is the greater Adam. Remember, through Adam came sin and death, but through Jesus comes grace and life. So that was the first five, verse, five chapters of Romans. Probably could have saved us a number of weeks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But as recipients of this grace, Paul starts to anticipate questions that the people of Rome might have. And one of those questions is at the very beginning of chapter 6. In verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? And you can hear the logic behind that question, right? If, if we are redeemed by grace, if we have been saved through grace, through what God has done, then, then maybe we should just sin because as we sin, more grace will come. But what does Paul say? By no means. 
No, we are not to continue to sin so that grace would abound. No, that, that grace doesn't lead to greater sin. Grace leads to obedience. That we do not serve God because of what he, or we do not serve God because he will then love us, but because he has loved us, we then serve him. That's what Paul tells us. That's the beginning of Romans chapter 6. Well, in the middle of chapter 6, the passage we're coming to this morning, Paul has a very similar question. It's almost identical. He's been talking about the law and how we are no longer under the law, and so he anticipates another question. And he begins our passage by saying, follow along. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask as we come to it now that you would open our, open our eyes, you would unplug our ears that you would give us a clear vision of what you have called us to, and that this day and all our days we would serve you as your faithful people. Meet with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I can't remember if it was just a few months ago or a few years ago, but I was watching a television program. It was a sporting event, a TV show, and like most television programs that aren't being streamed, uh, this one was live, and, and so it had pauses for commercial breaks, and I know that's when most of us, you know, mute it, we walk away, but, but I actually like watching commercials, because often commercials give us a depiction of what the world is like, or at least how that marketer views the world, and in this particular commercial, there was a voiceover, and the voiceover said this, the thing about freedom is... Freedom has no limits. There's no such thing as too many adventures or too many unforgettable moments. There will never be too many stories to write or too many memories to make. And then the voiceover trailed away and on the screen was a single word, Jeep. You see, as the voiceover was going through the commercial, there were pictures and videos of of a family, of a couple, of a single person driving their Jeep across creeks and rivers and, and uncharted sort of roads and around bends around a mountainside. Jeep will bring you freedom. And freedom has no limits. 
Now, what's interesting about that is that that's actually how our world often conceives of freedom, isn't it? That to be free means that you are without constraint, that you are free from all impediments, that there are no limits. That to be truly free means that you are a servant of no one except yourself. Now, that's the world. That's Jeep's portrayal of freedom. Now, I want to contrast that with a song by Bob Dylan. In the 1970s, Bob Dylan wrote a song. And in this song, he describes different people and professions and all the various things that different people might do. He says, you could be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble or dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. And he goes on verse after verse after verse of repeating these different professions, these different titles that we might take on for ourselves. But scattered throughout these verses is the chorus. It says, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So which is it? Freedom according to Jeep, without constraint, a servant to no one, or according to Dylan, you're going to serve someone. Now, for some of you, you might be surprised to hear that the passage that we just read in Romans 6 tells us that Dylan has a better understanding of our world than Jeep does. That Dylan has a more accurate understanding of our experience because our passage, Paul, tells us that you are going to serve something. You're going to serve something. In fact, Paul uses very strong language. It's not just serve. You are going to be a slave. We hear it in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? You are going to present yourself as a slave. That language of present, it means hand over. Paul is telling us we are going to hand ourselves over as a slave. Now that language, slave, it wouldn't have been lost on his original hearers. In the Roman Empire at this time, it has been estimated that between 10 and 30% of the population were enslaved. And even beyond that, we know that slavery in the Roman Empire wasn't just like the slavery that we experienced in our country. Yes, there were those who were slaves because their lands had been conquered, they had been taken away from another place, but there were also people who sold themselves into slavery as a way of paying off of a debt or as a way of of finding, um, finding security in their enslaver. And these people oftentimes over time could buy their freedom back or they would be released over time. And so, so 10 to 30% may have been enslaved, but there was even a higher percentage that at one point had experienced slavery. And so they knew exactly what it meant to be a slave. That you are under the obligation and commitment and control of your master. And Paul is saying, that is us. 
So the question isn't, will you serve something, but what will you serve? And Paul tells us we are either going to be servants, slaves to God or to sin. There's no in-between. We see it in verse 16. He goes on, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, we're going to come back to obedience later, but one of the options Paul says that we can serve is sin. And serving, being a slave to sin, leads to death. Now, here's the thing. We can make anything our master. We can become a slave or a servant to anything. In our uh, order of service, in the reflections for this morning, there was a quote by Rebecca Pippert out of her wonderful book, Out of the Salt Shaker. And in it, she says this, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And she's right. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is, who is our Lord? What is your master? Just think about last week. If you were here with us last week as we're going through stewardship, last week we talked about stewarding our money, right? We talked about finances. If your thoughts are consumed with your possessions, if your primary focus is on your savings, if you are constantly concerned with your financial security, then what is controlling you? Well, it's money. Money is becoming your Lord. And we do this with all sorts of things, right? It's not just money, right? It can be reputation. It can be power. It can be career. It could even be family. These are the things that we give our hearts over to and we allow to enslave us. Because, friends, whatever is controlling you, whatever you you are serving, that is your Lord. And when we serve money or power, acceptance or control, when we serve reputation, it will lead us farther and farther away from the Lord. Paul says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. This simply means Paul's using an analogy, that of slavery, to help understand his point. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So you see what he's saying? That when we were enslaved to sin, it brought forth the fruit of lawlessness, and lawlessness begot lawlessness. He's saying that as we give ourselves to, to, the Lord, to a Lord of, of money, of security, of whatever it might be, that as we give just a little bit, We're going to give a little bit more and a little bit more, right? Sin will beget sin. Lawlessness will lead to greater lawlessness. That as we give ourselves to those things, we will become more and more enslaved. And the fruit of that enslavement is death. Verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And again in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. 
You see, what Paul is telling us is that if we serve the things of this world, if we serve our own desires, if we serve our heart or our flesh, we may think that it is freedom, but it is actually slavery. And that slavery will result in death. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. That's what it deserves. That's what we earn when we give our hearts and our minds and our actions to the things of this world. We earn death. And if you are giving yourself to those things, then you are a slave to them. But y'all, death isn't the only option. Death isn't the only option. There is also life. So where does this life come from? So uh, I've been listening to uh, not Bob Dylan recently. I've been listening to another singer named Jack White. Jack White was the former lead singer of the White Stripes, um, and he's now on his own, and he has this new album. He actually released two new albums this past year, but his most recent one is an album called Entering Heaven Alive. Jack White is not a believer, so don't let the title confuse you. He is not a Christian, and on this album, he has a a song that's called um, Please God, Don't Tell Anyone. And in it, he asks some questions. He says, will the things I did well even save me from hell? I can't recall all the sins I can't tell. Will a thousand good deeds be erased then by just one bad one? Do you hear what he's asking? Are my good deeds enough? What about a thousand good deeds What about a thousand good works? Isn't that enough to give me the life that I desire? That's the question he's asking, and those are good questions, aren't they? He's wanting life. He's wanting them to, all the bad deeds to be erased, but what is the answer that Paul would give him? A thousand good deeds, 10,000, 100,000 will never be enough. For the life that we desire. Aren't our works enough? The answer Paul gives us is no. Our works are not enough to give us life. Life only comes through Christ. And it is a gift, not earned. That's what verse 23 said, right? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the giver of life. And this life leads to slavery. Now, we may have expected that we would hear, well, life leads to freedom. And in one sense, it does. We are now free from the power of sin. But, but this life of Christ leads to slavery. We are now enslaved to God. You see, we have moved from one master to another. We've been freed from sin being our master, and now Jesus is. That's what verse 22 tells us. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And y'all, this slavery, this servitude, it is good. It's for our good that God would be our master. Because you see, God isn't like other masters. He's benevolent and gracious. He is loving and kind. Look at the rest of verse 22. 
We have become slaves of God, and the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Do you see the difference between this slavery and the slavery to sin? Slavery to sin leads to death, but slavery to God leads to sanctification and life. Paul goes on in verses 17 through 18, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. So you hear what Paul's telling us, right? That if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in his grace, then you are not a slave to sin anymore. That's who you once were. That that's not who you are anymore. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to struggle against sin and we're not going to have to fight against temptation. We're going to talk about that next week. But what it means is that we are no longer under sin's authority. It doesn't rule over us. Sin does not have the last rule over our lives. Your past does not have the last word over your life. And that is good news, y'all, because our past can haunt us. The things that we have done, pasts that are filled with immorality, pasts that are filled with gossip, pasts that are filled with strife and anger, pasts that are filled with addiction and betrayal. Y'all, that doesn't define you anymore. If you are in Christ, your past does not have the last word over you. Christ does. Grace does. We heard it, didn't we, in our assurance of pardon? We are new creations. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. That for those who have turned from our sin, that those who have repented of our sin, that those who have turned our backs on our past, what Jesus says over us is that we are now his new creations. Paul says in verse 19, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Present your members. Remember, that means hand yourself over. Hand yourself over to righteousness and sanctification. Sanctification, which Paul is saying is a fruit of our enslavement to God, is, as Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Did you hear that? We are being renewed in the whole man. Our minds and our hearts, our hands and our desires, they are being renewed in the whole man after the image of God. So do you know what that looks like? It looks like looking more and more like Jesus. Becoming more and more like Christ because Christ is the perfect imprint of the Father. He is the perfect image of God. And so as we are being sanctified, as we are being renewed over time, not perfectly, again, as we are going to hear next week, but as we are being renewed, we become more and more like Christ. 
The transformation of being a slave to sin to being a a slave to God is nothing less than becoming like Jesus. That's why Paul says in verse 17, we were once slaves of sin, but have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The standard of teaching is simply the whole of Christian doctrine and ethics. It is that which is formative in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who demonstrates obedience to that in its totality. Right? If we want to know what righteousness looks like, we look to Christ. If we want to look at what renewal looks like, we look at Jesus. So that our thoughts are like his thoughts. Our words reflect his words. Our actions are demonstrations that we belong to him. Our desires align with Christ. You see, this renewal is our hearts being reoriented to obedience to Christ. So that we would live more and more like him. Y'all, that is why we don't return to sin. That is why we no longer turn to sin, but we turn from it, because that is not who we are anymore. That's why Paul began with that question. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And he answers, by no means. If you are in Christ, you are not a slave to sin anymore, but you are a slave to God. If you are trusting in Christ, you are no longer dead, but you are now alive. And so we don't belong to sin, but we're also not our own. We belong to God. We belong to God, and so we are to give our hearts and our minds. We are to give our words and our actions. We are to give all of our lives over to our master, our Lord, the one in whom we belong. Y'all, we are going to serve somebody. We will serve ourself or our flesh or the world or sin and it will lead to death or we will serve the king who's gracious and kind and that will lead to life. Let us serve him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have revealed to us that you, Lord Jesus, are the one in whom we are to serve. And so we ask that you would turn our eyes away from sin and that we would focus them upon you. Father, when we fall victim to temptation, when we give in, we pray that you would lead us to repentance. And repentance would lead to righteousness and righteousness to sanctification and that in the end, eternal life so that we would be your faithful people. Help us, we pray. And we pray all this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, amen.